Don't pull back. Continue to release this sound. I'll explain what it's about later. But enter into the declaration that the kingdom of God is coming to the earth. There's a sound of procession. Kingdom procession. Your worship releases the angels of heaven. Your worship releases the government of God on the earth. Your faith enables the reign of God specific to our region and nation. Release faith today. Have you read the scripture? Have you read the scripture that says prophesy according to the measure of your faith? Prophesy according to the measure of your faith. Now we're sometimes of the mind, well, you know, I need to I don't I need to only prophesy what God is prophesying. What, what why does my faith matter? Isn't it just what God wants? No, it's what your faith can determine based on God, what God wants. You prophesy according to what you believe. Now God says he's going to rule all the kingdoms of the earth that become the kingdoms of our Lord. But how much do you believe that? How much do you how far can you believe for the reign of God around your life? If your sound and the sound of your faith was imposing the kingdom of God on the world in which you live, how far would it reach? Would it go out a foot? Could it go out to your children? Could it go out to your neighborhood? Could it go out to your city? We prophesy, and the effectiveness of our prophecy is not whether it's the, key, the, the will of God or not, but your faith. Your faith determines the effectiveness of the prophecy. Not just the fact that God one day is going to make that a reality. It's imposed on the earth by the measure of the faith of the people that are speaking it. So when we're singing, we're not just enjoying a song. We're not trying to warm up our faith only. We're not just trying to encourage ourselves that eventually it's all going to get better. And it is all going to get better eventually. It is all going to come to pass eventually, but it's coming to pass through the church. Ephesians 3.10. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to principalities and powers. How is he doing that? By giving you faith so that what you say begins to happen in the real world. So let's, let's, let's sing this again. You reign. But you, let's sing it as though your faith will determine whether he reigns this week in your life or not. Imagine the outcome of this week resting on the release of your faith right now. You reign! You reign! You reign! Let's pause here for a second. Let's pause here for a second. Do you remember during the rule of Ahab and Jezebel how bad it was in Israel? Anybody ever read about that? It's pretty bad, eh? Whose God was greater all the time? Right? Was it Baal that was greater all the time? No, of course not. Then why did it take so long for the confrontation on Mount Carmel to happen? God was, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yet the supremacy of God is exalted in one moment much greater than in another moment. And for the bulk of that period, for years, the prophets were in hiding. They were being put to death. They were being chased. What's the difference? The difference is in God. The supremacy of God is constant. Always the same. It's the people. It's the people. The manifestation of the glory, the supremacy, the majesty of God was dependent upon not the temperature of God's glory, but the temperature, temperature of faith in the people. And so as things begin to get worsen, they begin to, hey, what's going on? They begin to gradually wake up. They begin to get nervous. They begin to, to say, hey, there's something wrong here. They begin to get desperate. They began to get hungry. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The desperation began to pull on the reins of heaven. They didn't know how this worked, but eventually... Now, listen. Elijah was always a significant prophet. 
What really, what was the trigger that gave him permission to go to Mount Carmel? Was God just sitting there? Yeah, you can suffer a little longer. Suffer a little longer. No, there's no reason for the suffering. It's just, you know, in a certain amount of time. God does not delight in suffering. The conditions of suffering create dependency upon God in the people. And as that increases, it pulls on the reins of heaven. And when there's enough of a threshold that's crossed, then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Not because God suddenly gets stronger, but but God suddenly is enabled by the desperation of the people. Now, in that case, it's desperation. In our case, it ought to be faith. But faith and desperation sometimes go hand in hand. Not because that's God's idea, but that's our idea. Because it's hard to lean into faith unless you're desperate. You can without being desperate, but it's harder. How can we change Canada? How can we change Alberta? How can we change this city? We have the reins of power. Your faith, your desperation, your belief that when I, if, if I begin to say your kingdom come, as the church and the, the, the water level of the faith in the church throughout this province begins to rise, when the condition of our nation gets so bad, we begin to cry out day and night in secret places, say, oh God, release our nation when the sound of humility and desperation rises up, then God begins to release things, not because he's finally ready, but you have pulled on the cords of heaven. Let's not wait till we're desperate. Let's do it on purpose because we know it's right. Let's do it on purpose because we know it's our, it's our calling. It's our role as the church. We can change the atmosphere of this city. Now, l- let me share something. We could go on like this for a long time. I don't know how much faith we have in the room. And that's what we're trying to increase over the course of months and years. But there was a theory a little while ago as people talked about this thing called global warming. And decided that, you know what, what if we could suck down the super cold air that's out there in space? What if we could somehow create some, some kind of funnel and pull down the atmosphere of that cool air and, you know, cool the earth a little more? It's a stupid idea. The whole thing's stupid. But, but there is an image of something. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That also is an atmosphere. The knowledge of the glory of God is the atmosphere of heaven. The government of God exists in heaven. The symmetry, the, the, uh, uh, the organization, the fluidity of the running of heaven happens because of a knowledge of God that is just evident. It's self-evident. It's just there. That knowledge exists in degrees in nations, different degrees. One of the reasons why God has apportioned nations in the same way that you have a different cup of water than your neighbor when you're, when you're eating supper. So you can drink from your cup and they can drink from theirs. All right? Because they may put something in theirs that you don't want in yours. Right? Nations drink from a cup that they as a nation decide what to put into it. And one nation drinks from a better cup because they've put better things in their cup. The best thing that's put is through faith. The knowledge of the glory of God is brought down onto nations, and it causes what's in that nation to be better than what's in the nation next to it. And that's how God makes a difference between one nation and another. In the same way, he makes a difference between one person and another in order to demonstrate what is wisdom and what is not. What that means is this is that as we are worshiping in faith, as when we are really connecting, that sound that you heard coming from there, there's a stream of the knowledge of God being pulled into this place. But it doesn't just come into this room. It's coming into this region of Alberta. And when this is multiplied 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100, 200, 1,000 times in Alberta, imagine the da- change of atmosphere if all that that cool knowledge of God is being pulled down into the earth. That's how we change the atmosphere of a nation. That's why God is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. We're not just singing songs because we like the melody and the text is remotely biblical and familiar to us. And, well, we like that harmony. I feel good when I sing that one. We are here to change the atmosphere, to enthrone him in Alberta and to say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how long can we do this before we wonder whether there's meaning in it? Well, I just came from Hong Kong 
We had four or five days, actually seven days of meetings, two sets of them. And we did worship like this for hours at a time. And, and the things unfolded over the course of two or three hours in worship that could never happen in the context of one hour of worship here for two reasons, time, second reason, faith. But the exciting thing about being a part of that is you're feeling the gears of the kingdom of God set in motion on a scale that is global. More than that, what's exciting is the atmosphere is not one of doubt or questions. It's one of engagement and faith. It's actually rich beyond measure. But you know what? It's not just for Hong Kong. It's to whosoever will. What if we could engage the wheels of spiritual government right here? What if our faith were the beginning point of determining how much of the kingdom of God was manifested in the Edmonton region? Oh, God, I pray, Father, today that these things, even as we sang earlier, this is reality. Father, I pray you would change our very sense of the definition of what is real and what is not. Father, that we begin to truly see that the things that are seen exist because of the things which are not seen. And the things which are not seen are the things which are enduring. These are the foundational things, the things we cannot see with our natural eyes. So, Father, give us a hunger and an aptitude and a faith to be able to see the validity in that which is not seen. Can you say amen? Amen. So, Father, we want to say today, Lord, help us to come up to another level of faith, to, to be a part of the release of the kingdom of God on the earth. Father, release us from doubt. Release us from fear. Release us from the measures of what seems to look foolish and what is not foolish. For the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. God, we want to plunge, we want to dive into the foolishness of God. And everyone said, Amen. And everyone said, let it be done. I just wanted to share a little bit. I was asked to say a little something about the, the China gathering. Now, uh, for those of you that are newer to Spruce Grove Community Church, you may not know that um, for the last 20 plus years, I've been part of an initiative that began out of our church in Vancouver that became known as the Gatherings. And it was really an initiative around unity, but more than unity. Unity became the foundation for, for receiving mandates to change the structure of, of uh, uh, and the condition of our nation through repentance and prayer. And it's kind of a, a reflection of that old song, old song, man. But there was a, a guy who wrote a song called King of Saints, part of the Vineyard uh, series of, but it's called King of Saints. And one of the lines in the song was this. And I remember when I first, the first time I heard it, I, it, it, bugged, it bugged me. Because I didn't, it didn't really fit my grid. I was in that season of authority, spiritual warfare, you know, conquering the earth, you know, the majesty, the power, the, the high lifted hand of God coming down hard on his enemies. And he's, he sang this line, and it said, Whoever heard of an army, O Lord, that conquered the earth through weeping and mourning and brokenness? And, uh, and it was really a prophetic vision of what would begin to be uh, the movement of a church that conquered through the earth through repentance and humility and, and, uh, and lamenting uh, its own lack of, our own lack of authority to change the world, you know, which is really what that, you know, this is what James is talking about when he says, weep, lament, and mourn. He said, listen, you guys keep being brought into the vortex of the world and you can't break free, and you have issues of pride in your life, and you can't break free. He says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. He said, weep, mourn, and lament. Why? Uh, 
because you're trying to break away from your condition and in the realization of your powerlessness and your inability to be what I've called you to be, there's humility expressed in that that causes my glory to begin to come on you in a new way and then the nations will be healed. So that's sort of snapshot of some of the overview. But that truth um, hit us. And so this, this event here is the outflow of 10 years of a journey in Canada and over 10 years of a journey in Taiwan and Malaysia and Hong Kong and mainland China that's resulted in these events. Now, they didn't call them gatherings. They've been calling them homecomings because they're really exploring the DNA of what it means to be family. And we're trying to learn to be a spiritual family. Now, there's a lot involved in that, and I'm not going to talk about it, except to say this. What has happened is as the Chinese church has come together with leaders from all over the world, their humility, their, you know, because they have been in isolation for so long, so unable to worship God in a way that's free. When they come to Hong Kong to these events, which are really illegal in mainland China, you know, they're so excited to be with the brethren. They're so excited to be in a big house to be able to worship God unashamedly. They are all in. They're not sitting there like, you know, uh, sing something I really like. You know, they're, they're, they're like, we get to worship God. Whoa. And so that enthusiasm, that hunger, that humility, that passion is this beautiful foundation for these kingdom things to begin to evolve uh, that are just so powerful. And some of the, two of the most powerful moments in this realm, in the realm of seeing the manifestation of the government of God evolve, I can't explain what that is right now, but, but the wheels of the justice of heaven began to turn on two occasions on a level I've never felt and never seen before. First one was a few years ago in one of the events. We had 27,000 people at that event. This one here, there was 10,000 people in the room. And uh, it was another one of those moments. And so it's an atmosphere that just comes in. Not, not, not the same caliber of what we began to experience this morning, but in the same stream. In the same stream. And that's why I'm saying to you, listen, if we had a little more stick to if we, you know, sometimes we're like kids, right? You know, kids that get in the car, you got a, you know, you got a 500, you got a thousand, 2,000 mile, you know, uh, drive, right? Right? You know, 15 minutes into it. Are we there yet? Right? So we're kind of like spiritual kids. We're, we start on this kingdom journey. Something starts to open of the windows of heaven and they're just starting to crack open and be like, okay, can we do a different song? I'm, I'm tired of this one. Uh, are we done? Is it sandwich time? You know, is it, uh, you know, an inability to nurture the moment to see the kingdom of God come through our worship. So as a church in the earth is increasing in maturity, as we're beginning to realize that those invisible things are more real than anything we can see, feel, or touch in this realm, we begin to engage with them more fully. That's an expression of a more mature church. And that's the direction we're going. So there's uh, that, that moment, twice it happened, one a few years ago and once here this week, are, are uh, exemplified in this moment. So play the one with the, the Chinese guys with the swords. There's a dance team. They're dressed like, you know, angels. And so we're going to just show this. Now, hold on a second. I pop on there twice to give a little explanation, exhortation, because I wasn't sure how many, you know, whether people would understand what's going on. As we're watching now, I wish I hadn't done that because what's happening in the background is much better. (laughs) But anyway, I pop up there twice to say, hey. And so, you know, of course, we we look at that thing. Oh, I would have liked to have been there. There could be here any time. Any time. God is not uh, a respect. It's not because they're Chinese. <laughs> right? right? The kingdom of God will manifest to whoever has ears to hear and can, can worship in spirit and truth to pull that manifestation, that spiritual government into the room. Yeah. And that's what our, our quest is about. It's not the only part of our Christianity, but it's where our battle to expand the kingdom of God begins. That's why God is looking for worshipers. Amen. All right, the second, the second one here. Now, realize that that moment came after about an hour and a half of exalting Jesus in the most full-hearted fashion. And so it's not a style. It's not, oh, hey, let's, let's try and catch the tune of that. Let's replicate that with some of the drums, you know, and let's, you know, get some dancers with spears in long robes. 
and then we'll have the same thing. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. It's, a, it's about a convergence of invisible factors that allow for a moment. But it's power. See, this is, this is the exciting thing. We can explore any of these things. We can do that. Hallelujah. That's the permission we have in God. So, Father, give us a desire, Lord, to lean into what you want to bring into the earth, to be part of it in an increasingly significant way. So the other one I want to show you briefly is a moment where there's dancers, the Chinese dance team, one fellow from Toronto, uh, and, and they're, 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 again, out of the midst of this long time of worship, suddenly something shifts, and one of the, uh, one of the dance member, team members falls on the floor and goes into a deep kind of intercession. Well, David Deeming goes up and gives him a mic, and then others come around. Well, I didn't show it all, but the next thing that unfolds is the response of mothers and fathers coming around them, and then a Taiwanese dance team with sticks and drums come around them, and then we go into an hour and a half time of intercession and prayer. That's just, and again, it, it could happen anywhere. It's only subverted by our inability to believe that it's genuine or authentic or has value. If we chalk it up to a cultural moment, if we chalk it up to an emotional moment, if we think, oh, well, that's nice, pa- nice pageantry there. Yeah, we should add, you know, a little more color to our, our uh, you know, our little uh, Sunday worship thing here. It's much deeper than that. And so my heart is, oh, I wish, I wish we could engage in these things with, uh, with greater depth. Because, I tell you, our country needs it. So did you notice the eloquence of his prayer? <laughs> right? That's the sound of birthing. It's the sound of desperation. It's the sound when, you know, you are caught up in the groaning of the kingdom of God wanting to be released from your innermost being. And um, so, again, uh, we could say a lot about it, but I got something else to say. So, we're going to move on. But, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing. Oh, God, thank you, Lord, that you've appointed us to be born at this season. You've appointed us, God, to be born into your kingdom in this era for such a time as this. God, we are here in this day, in this place, not by accident, but because of your will to see your kingdom done. So, Lord, we want to come into our place. We want to come into the obedience that you've called us to. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, God, God, that you would unlock the gifts that are in this body. You would unlock the gifts that are in our life. You would unlock the grace, Lord, that you've laid up for each and every one of us. Father, we are... We are eager to walk in the fullness of what it means to be a son of God, a daughter of the Most High. So, Father, we say, let that nature that you've put inside of us, let it come forth. In Jesus' name. So, um, the the title of my message this morning, and um, the social order of the kingdom of God, what I've called it. It might not be the best name, but... But, you know, I, I'm active in terms of my thinking. All, often, as I see things transpire in our culture, it used to be that a lot more of our culture resembled the culture of the kingdom of God. It used to be that there were things that we agreed upon, just norms within our lives, things we thought were correct, that we were in agreement over, and they were righteous agreements. We didn't maybe always live up to them exactly as we, sh- we should, but we, we knew that this was an expression of righteousness. And so there used to be foundations of the knowledge of God that affected our culture that caused us to think and act along certain lines more than we do today. And so what, what's happening is that, is that there's an, there are other cultures that are coming up. We used to call them subcultures, because uh, there's always a dominant culture, right? There's always the power movers and shakers and, and the, the people and the orders of things that define how, how our society works. But you always had subcultures. I remember when I was a kid, you know, the, uh, uh, 
the first time I saw, I'm trying to remember when it was, but the first time I saw somebody dressed up in, uh, you know, a lot of black clothing and black fingernails, you know, it's like, it's like goth. Yeah, yeah, it's like, what the heck? You know, uh, what, what's that all about? I don't know, you know. And it, but it was a subculture. And there were many other subcultures. And what happens is you have a primary culture that's affected by uh, numbers of things. It's, I, I can't even equate it all. But there's these subcultures. And the primary culture was defined largely by a Christ, Judeo-Christian faith. We came from a Judeo-Christian background. We, and so a lot of the tenets that undergird a lot of what we thought was proper behavior came from at least a, an idea of a biblical uh, value of some kind. And so, so that, that was there. But what's happening is, is we're seeing that culture uh, diminish as other cultures that used to be subcultures begin to vie to become the preeminent culture. Now, how do you, as a Christian, deal with that if you believe that there is a superior culture that exists or should exist that comes out of the word of God or God's concept or idea of righteousness? What God thinks is right is actually right, all right? And it's not up for discussion. We may think it's up for discussion, but it actually isn't. But here's the thing, is that we, as the people of God, as we align with God, we have the power to manifest the superiority of the culture of heaven. We have the power to do that. We have the ability to do that. And so um, I was thinking, I think about these things all the time because I, you know, anyway. But the, the, the Lord always brings it back to this. These are sophisticated things. And, you know, we can deliberate about them. We can talk about them. We can speculate. But at the end of the day, the question we have to answer is this for ourselves as individuals, everyone. All right. What am I doing to advance the kingdom culture? What am I doing in my family in my private life, in the way that I think, how well am I exhibiting the culture of heaven? Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is, what? Within you. In other words, the kingdom of God is not something that's going to magically appear out there. It's coming because it's being coming rooted in people. And as it becomes rooted in people... The authority of that kingdom, the supremacy of that kingdom, has the power to subjugate every other knowledge around it. That's the power of the kingdom. And when it doesn't seem to work, it's because the version you're doing is not the right one. Because whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. So we're on this journey of figuring out what does the right one look like. And the litmus test is, does it overcome the world? Does, does it become the preeminent culture? All right? And that is the proof that the version we're beginning to walk in is closer and closer to the one that God loves. And so because we're, it's like coming out of a dysfunctional family, you know, and getting married. Well, how do two people coming out of dysfunctional families with the whole history of their lives, all their relationships, how you deal with conflict, how you deal with money, attitudes toward men, women, children. How, you're both warped and you're coming into a marriage. Now do it right. <laughs> right? Not possible. You, you know, and so what we have is we have access to God, and that's why worship, we... We, we have access to God as we draw near to him, and we are changed from within. We come here not to get a bunch of rules and lists of things of what a Christian should and should, should not look like. Those are there, and they're always going to be there, and they do tell us something. But transformation begins by God affecting how you, what you believe and as you are in your heart. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Well... So we have this call to manifest the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God as a culture. And um, now that culture results in a system and in values. And I'm going to try and explain this. So, so when you have a culture, and I was thinking about some of the aspects of culture here. A few years ago, some people decided that we shouldn't reward Excellence that we shouldn't re- reward superior skill. That that the, that merit, meritocracies, as they call it, you know what a meritocracy is? 
It's, it's, it's a system that exists because some people are better at something than others. You know, that we should not recognize the guy who's a better carpenter than the bad carpenter. We should value them equally. Because, you know, okay, maybe he can't put a straight wall together, but he's still a carpenter. He's still a person. He still has feelings. And, right? Like, all of those things are separate matters. You know, having, having a value system that says this music is better than this music. This person sings better than this person. This person runs faster, better than this person. These are all meritocracies. They're, they're normal recognition of what's better and what's worse. You can't eliminate that. And it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. There are always going to be things that you celebrate to be valuable. You know, somebody somebody says, I like to put makeup on. Somebody says, I don't care if I put makeup on. So, you know, but if you get around people who like makeup, the person with a lot of makeup that looks good is going to get affirmed by the people who like makeup. That's how culture comes about. People have shared values. They have shared ideas about what's good and what's bad. And then they, you know, inadvertently find some way to reward the thing that they like. Either, either you know, as a praise, hey, nice dress. Somebody else will look at that same dress and say, did you get a haircut? <laughs> Not even notice the dress. Right? Because your values, what you value, determines what you tend to notice, and then what you reward or do not reward. Well, as those systems become more sophisticated and they filter into society, they create, you know, uh, aspects of our culture. And so, you know, in the realm of sports, we began to reward people who are better. Most valuable player, most goals. You know, we do that. And then somebody come along saying, you know, all... All the people who aren't good athletes are getting hurt feelings. So rather than saying maybe they shouldn't do sports, we said, let's just eliminate meritocracy. Let's pretend they're all the same. Now the problem with that is this, is the kingdom of heaven doesn't work that way. The kingdom of heaven is not for that kind of equality. The kingdom of God, nowhere in the Bible... Does it ever say anything about everybody's the same and everybody's performance is going to be appreciated equally? In fact, the very opposite is there. All right? And I, I mean, you don't have to be biblically literate hardly at all to know that that's true, right? right? What was the parable? It said he gave, you know, talents, right? Ten, five, and one, and he came down. Did he affirm them all equally? You all did amazing. <laughs> right? No. No, 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 far from it. So meritocracies are a part of the kingdom of heaven. So as soon as you start to say, hey, this meritocracy as it exists is, is unjust, what you're saying, well, you're saying a bunch of things, but let me tell you what you're not saying. You're not saying let's get rid of all meritocracies because that's impossible. What you're actually saying is let's get rid of this one because I don't measure up well. And the war on the culture of the kingdom of heaven that we've inherited through the Christian geo faith is being, is, being, is being torn down. Not because all cultures and meritocracies are wrong, but there are people intent on imposing another one upon us. There will always be another one. Now, here's the, here's the issue. We can say, all right, uh, I don't think this value system is leg- is, has value. So let's say you, you're looking at a newspaper and you see that, you know, some star, some movie star made $34 million in the last movie. You read that, you know, some hockey player got a contract. He's getting $12 million. $12 million. That's a million dollars a month. He's getting paid to play hockey. This is unjust. This is not right. All right? Okay, so it's not just, in other words, you'd like to have more money and you'd like him to have less, really. But here's the question. Do you value that movie star more than the average person? Let me, let me dial back. If we, you and I, are going to impose on the world 
another culture that's based on another value system. The question is, how tied into the one that's presently here are we? If there's a, if there's a value system that's out there, you know, whether it's, whether it's based on faith or not, are you free? Now, let me turn to Hebrews 13 in verse 1 and 2. And I'll share with you uh, my experience that I had on this trip where the Lord spoke to my heart about something. It's a part of a continuation of something he's been doing in me recently. When I say recently, in the last five years. Things take a while in the kingdom of God to change our hearts. Hebrews 12, 13, verse 1 and 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly, unwittingly entertained angels. So let me, let me tell you what happened. I was signed up to be a part of this leadership gathering in Hong Kong for two days before the main gathering. And uh, I was planning on rooming with a guy who then decided not to come. So suddenly I get this email sent to me that uh, this is your roommate. And there's this name there, Yusuf something. I think, Yusuf? I don't know a Yusuf. And I'm thinking, who's this Yusuf guy? And I'm thinking, ah, oh, I really wanted to, to room with this guy. Now I'm rooming with this stranger. And I thought, I, I don't know who this is. Now, on a natural level, that's, that's fine. It's great to, you know, if you're going to room with somebody, sometimes it's more comfortable to room with somebody that you know, right? It's, it's, you know, there, there's going to be people you get along with better, you, people you like more. But here's the thing. God was putting his finger on my value system. He was about to question who and what I value and why I value it. Because, of course, I'm sitting there and saying, God, I want your kingdom. I want your culture. I want, I, want to, I want to think like you think. I want to value people like you value people because that's the culture of heaven. And I'm trying to, you know, certainly I'm trying on every level to look like I'm doing that. But sometimes you, even though you're trying to do that, God comes down and says, yeah, this is not a very good version of that. And it's not a very good version because you actually don't value the way I value. That's your problem. Now, why is this important? Because if we are going to superimpose on our world a value system that is born of God, that is therefore going to overcome the world, it has to be the one that's born of God. So we read in the Bible, we try as much as we can to align with our idea of what the values of God are, but if we don't really value them in our hearts, they don't have power in our lives. So God has to show you not who you think you are, but who you really are in order to change that so that you can be who you want to be or who you know you think you should be. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this Yusuf guy's name and I, I send an email off. Hey, uh, that's not really who I was wanting to room with. And then they send something back, and it's like, well, um, you know, who did you want to room with? And the, and the Lord rebuked me. And this is what he said to me. He said, uh, he said, this man is a giant. You have just been matched with a giant in the faith. I, I don't even know who he is. Really? So I sent an email back, said, never mind, I'm good with my roommate. Well, I go to this event, and the very first day, David Demian calls up this father of the faith with all kinds of praise, and, you know, this man was so significant in Egypt, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and it's my roommate. And I'm thinking, I was not disposed to value him at all, which is not odd, and it's not inherently evil, because we tend to lean towards familiarity, and, all, and that's fine. But, but here's, here's the question. This is what we're going to move towards. Do we have the capacity to see beyond the veneer of people who they are? are? Do we actually believe that people are what we see them to be? Or is there a possibility that people might be more than what they appear to be? And perhaps it might be the wisest thing to posture ourselves in a position, you know, from a from a place of honoring, 
in the off chance that you might be paired up with a giant. So later on, when somebody else was talking about it, so I said, oh, do you know, do you know my roommate, Yusuf? No. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, he's a legend. It's my roommate, the legend. <laughs> so as you can imagine, there's, there's a kind of a, you know, I, it wasn't like I seriously disregarded him. I just had no reason to regard him because he was an anonymous person to me. But what the Bible is telling us here in Hebrews 13, 12, and this is a sort of an epic standard, a part of the culture of heaven. It said, he says, listen, do not forget to entertain strangers. Be nice to people you don't know because they might be somebody. And some have entertained angels. That the, your value system, the way you determine who deserves your respect, is being dictated by a system out there, but it's, but it's because the system in here is somewhat disposed to the system out there. And therefore, you begin to rate people and value them according to a system that is not my system. So the Lord is saying to me, how are you going to impose my system on the world when you don't even have it? This is kind of sobering, right? (laughs) So uh, part of the reason I say that is when I'm preaching the gospel and I'm saying, you know, we need to be, we need to be, I'm not saying that because I am and you are not. We are all coming up into something. But the, the, the heart of this began to struck, strike me quite deeply when I thought about what, why do I, what do I really regard? You know, I, I like clothes. I do like clothes. I, so I like, I like people who dress nicely. David's wearing a suit today. That's great. Love the, love, love the suit, David. You don't have to wear a suit to come here, but I like suits. I'd probably wear a suit every Sunday if I wasn't going to be sort of pigeonholed by the culture to say you're therefore legalistic and old-fashioned. I like suits. But here's the thing, and here, this is what we need to take in right now. Ask the Lord, what is my value system? How do I regard people I don't know? In what ways am I measuring people illegally at least against the backdrop of the kingdom of heaven. Are there illegitimate responses in my heart to people? Have I got a class system at work in my heart that causes me to be prone to disregard or disrespect one person and indulge another? And if so, uh, is that honoring to God? So the first thing I wanted to say about this is that, um, is that what we presently know is not reliable. What you know about the people around you. If some people accidentally and inadvertently entertain angels and they could minimize the importance of those angels and I can minimize the importance of people that I encounter in the street. This is the thing. What if... What if I could have a quality of heart that I could be free from those systems and impose, uh, have on my heart an ability to have regard for everybody? It was a few years ago that I began to realize that in the kingdom, in the church world, I had a very distinct inability to honor people whose giftings were not significantly higher than mine. So I, I sort of was starstruck by, you know, I didn't care about Hollywood. I didn't really care about sports people. I had a chance to you know, rub shoulders with the sports people, and you know, it made other people excited, but it was like, yeah, whatever. But you know, kingdom people, ooh. You know, whether we realize it or not, the process of God adapting us to his image begins with changing what we value, what is important to us. And part of what the scripture is saying is God loves everybody. And we have sort of decided that, well, you know, I'm not God. 
I don't really have the capacity to love everybody. I can barely love the people closest to me. So it just makes sense to have this order, this concentric circles of people that I value, and I will let people in to my inner or closer circles based on how they match up to the criteria of who I value or not. And, you know, on one level, you don't have enough time, you don't have enough, uh, you know, uh, money, you don't have enough lunches, you don't have enough coffee to, to, to do, have coffee with everybody in the world. And that, so that's not a problem that you're going to spend more time with some people and less time with others. The, the, the problem is, what is the basis on which you make those decisions? That's the thing. Does your value system trump God's willingness or desire for you to love everybody equally and to give everybody an equal chance to be in your heart? You know what I mean? Because you close and you open your heart to people based on that value system. You don't even know you do it, but you do it all the time. You, You give people measured regard based on initial impressions. They're matching up. Oh, that guy's carrying a skateboard. Looks well-worn. Ooh, that's a really good trick. I'm going to go talk to this guy. Why? Because in your world, in your subculture, this value determines your regard for people. You you, you get what I'm talking about? And again, there's a natural element to this that is fine and normal, but if, if it restricts our capacity to let anybody in other than people who fit that particular criteria, then we're no different than the world out there. So how do we hope to have something that's a culture that's born of God that, that becomes preeminent in our, in our town, in our city, in our region, in our province? So anyway, I've got a couple other examples of this, but I, I guess I don't really need to go through them and my time is almost up, but let me, uh, let me read this. Philippians 2.3. Let me put it this way. God has another value system. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. If you are a soccer player and you're playing soccer with somebody who's terrible and you're really good, he's not saying, deny that you're really good and say they're better, because that would just be a lie. It's not saying, don't recognize that some people are shorter and some people are taller. No, no, we're, you may look a foot taller than me, but we're really the same. You know, the Bible does not asking us to lie about who has skills and who does not, who can sing and who does not. Everybody is not equally appropriate to be put on the stage with the microphone. All right? What, it, what it's saying there is, is have a capacity to regard everybody else more than you regard yourself. Value them in the way I value them and start to notice the way you tend to value yourself and your preferences and your likes and your dislikes and, 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 and how that determines who else you like. Consider them better. Consider them more. Give them more consideration than you're giving yourself. Wow, that's, that's hard to do. How do, you, how do you actually do that? Well, there's two ways. You can... Lean into God to, to get his, more of his love so that starts to surface in your life. Or the converse of that is you can begin to tear down the systems, the value systems you presently hold and begin to act in opposite to them. Remember years ago, I was, I was, uh, this is probably the beginning of this journey for me. I was in Caroline, Alberta, speaking at a school or something. There was a couple there. And... Um, and they, they did not look like anything that I would think, oh, I really want to get to know these people. They, so it turns out they were missionaries to the Apaches in Arizona. And they just looked a little odd. They were oddly dressed, some things. But I remember when I met them, and, and, and I'm going to bridge into this, but my spirit was attuned enough to know there was something significant about them in the heart of God. 
Now, see, I wasn't at a place where every scenario I could even hear that. I did hear that when I started to proceed with getting a new roommate. The Lord said, no, this guy, you want a room with this guy? Believe me. If you cancel this, you're going to regret it. Plus, I think I was supposed to meet him for future things. But anyway, so I'm in this scenario and I meet this couple and I just feel this beauty about them. Yet there's nothing in the natural that would attract me to them. Do you know that's how it defines Jesus in Isaiah? So there's nothing about his appearance, nothing about his visage that would draw you to him. And that's why the world was able to ignore him. And again, we get this snapshot. The world is ignoring what is valuable. And God is saying, I want a people to arise who aren't walking by that tune. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to bring my kingdom out of you. And it begins with how you determine who or what is valuable. What events are valuable? What conferences are value? What time spent is value? What people are valuable? How is that being determined inside of you? What system is dictating at the end of the day how you're going to look at this one or look at this one? This couple, and I, you know, I didn't have a chance to be with them more than that moment, but what I did have is in the moment when I met them, I actually valued them. Have you ever thought of how you conduct yourself in your life? How many moments do you have in your life where you dismiss people outright? I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm busy, I can't talk, stop and have coffee with everybody, I understand. But, you know, where you could, but hey, they're just, and fit in the language, they're just not important. How do you change that? You can't. You can't. This is the work of God inside of you. That there is a capacity inside of you that was planted in you when you became born again. There is a nature in you of love and regard and honor that can actually manifest the kingdom of God through the simplicity of an interaction where you don't write people off. Imagine what that might feel like if more and more of our engagements, more and more of our interchanges happen when we go to the grocery store. You know, I mean, I've considered, I've considered this because my wife has told me to consider it. <laughs> How many times you go to a restaurant and you decide your opinion about the, the waitress is based on how well she serves you? Because after all, it's her job. And I mean, you know, it's okay to hold people accountable to doing a job right, but, but, but your heart, given to somebody, caring for somebody, valuing somebody, honoring somebody, should not be linked to that system. There's a scripture that says this, and uh, let me read a couple of passages here. I get all piles of scripture. Maybe I'll cut it short. I'll just read the last one. But God's new pecking order. God has a pecking order. It's not just not based on the culture that you might presently be disposed towards. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 12 to 17. It says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of God compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we have no regard according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So 
So there's two, two lines in particular. One is in the first part in verse 12. That we have, might have an answer for, to those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Remember that right there. And the second part we need to remember is this, this last part in the last part of the verse. It says, uh, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Here's, here's what I figure. I think the posture of wisdom and certainly humility would suggest that, that I don't want to be on the end of dishonoring somebody who deserves honor. And so therefore, I want to continuously and increasingly aggressively set aside my value system. What is your value system? Who would you be prone to want to spend time with? If you got a call from Tiger Woods? If you got a call from the boss of your company? You know what I mean? There, there's an order. We have... We, we have people that we think are more valuable to us. And this, this connection to this order in us, it affects us as a body. Because the truth is, I can't spend equal time, for example, with everybody in this room. But somebody that you may think, eh, maybe you don't think I'm worth the time. But maybe you think, oh, I wish I could spend more time with Pastor Mark, but he's away all the time. But then somebody else comes along, maybe Joel Mitchell, and says, hey, I'll spend time with you. Now, I would never do that. I'm spending time with Joel tonight. But what I'm saying is, is in a church, in the social structure of this church, we have, we have a perspective about who we want to value, who we want to spend time with. And, and what makes... See, oftentimes our determinations, determinations about what kind of church this is is whether we get to spend time with what we consider the most important people or not. In other words, if you leave a church because nobody paid attention to you, usually when you're saying nobody, you're meaning not nobody, but not nobody that I really want to be with. Oh, there's lots of people I could spend time with, but they were beneath me. What's the problem there? Not the church, but your value system. You didn't feel important because only the unimportant people wanted to be with you. In your mind. You see how that's a problem? Yeah. You see how that, that value system, when we live by that value system, it messes up everything. Yeah. Appreciation, honor, gratitude, sense of belonging. It goes both ways. Where was I? But there's this ability within your spirit to value people according to the spirit. We regard no longer anyone according to the flesh, Paul said. And I don't know if he was fully meaning it in this social way, but what if we could do that with one another? What if, what if we could treat the least of these like Jesus? Hmm, sounds vaguely familiar. Maybe that's a biblical precept. <laughs> if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. That's a hard one to actually swallow, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this is a seed of a word. This is a transformation that God is doing in my own life. And oddly enough, it happens to be paralleling the authority that God is giving me in his body. What if... That is the outworking of the heart of God taking root in us. What if it is the answer to the needs of our community? What if it, that is the answer to the sense of belonging that we have or do not have within this body that can make this place a place of healing, a place of welcome, a place, of, a wellspring of life that could go out to hurting wounded people just meters from our front door? What if I could suddenly, you think, well, I'm not really that important. No, no, no. It's the love of God. If, 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 you could, if that system could be set aside in your heart and you could begin to honor people, I tell you what, it's going to change people around you. It's going to change you. It's going to change your workplace. It's going to change 
your interactions at the grocery store. It's going to, it's going to change how your neighbor, you talk to your neighbors. So what we're saying is not, okay, now another thing I need to do. No, no, no. It starts with this simple recognition. Oh, God, there's a value system in me that I want to start cutting off. I don't want to be limited by my likes and dislikes. I don't want to be limited by what the culture or who the culture is telling me is worth my time, my effort, my love. That's the kingdom of God. That's the culture of the kingdom of God coming out of us because it's a kingdom in us. So, Father, we pray that, Lord, just do this. Do this. God, give us... There is inside of the seed that God put in you, the capacity to love tens of thousands of people that are presently beyond the reach of your heart. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that you continue to confront the subtle hypocrisies of our lives. Though you said, don't regard this person according to the flesh, Don't regard the wealthy man. Don't regard the famous man. Don't regard the beautiful people. Yet we seem to fall into the trap of having regard over a certain class of people more than others. Lord, heal us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen?